this morning. If you have your bulletins, will you please join me in the book of Proverbs this morning? Proverbs chapter 23. Also, if we could turn over to 1 Corinthians 10. I want to read two passages with you this morning. So Proverbs 23 and 1 Corinthians 10. Now, we did just finish the wonderful gospel of Luke. What did I say it was? 89 messages, right? But it is the longest book in the New Testament, and we combed through it fairly thoroughly, I think, and we learned a lot. Now we're going to take a little little break from kind of the verse-by-verse verse stuff. We're going to get right back to it, though, after this month. We'll get into, I believe, the book of Colossians, verse-by-verse, verse, so fantastic stuff there. But we're going to take a little break and dip into the Proverbs in more of a topical fashion. Okay, so we're going to pull from the Proverbs some uh, four themes for this month for us to look at. And I would encourage you, while we go through the book of Proverbs, is read it throughout this month. In fact, uh, it doesn't take long. There's what, uh, 20, uh, Rick was just telling me this morning, there's 31 uh, Proverbs, and you can pretty much get through that. You could do almost one a day there and take care of a month's worth of reading. But I'm always blessed. It's a book that fills me with wisdom. And then I seem to forget some of it, and i got to go back and read it again, and I go, oh, there it is. <laughs> so please read through the book of Proverbs. King Solomon is the, the one that we generally think of that wrote the Proverbs. He did, most of them, but there are some other authors in there as well. As I look back at some of the sermons that I've done, I found that I did some on the Proverbs in the past, kind of like what we've done here. We finish a very large book, we take a little break, do some topical stuff out of the book of Proverbs or even the Psalms, and I did find that we looked at different topics, because there's many wonderful topics that, that emerge from the, the Proverbs, and one is wisdom, huge theme. Laziness and self-discipline, we talked about these some time back. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. I couldn't even remember, and I go, oh yeah, I did preach those. <laughs> Self-control was one of the, the great topics, and then how we use our words. So we discussed some of these things. But for the next four weeks, we're going to look at a few other things. We're going to look at adultery, and gluttony, and pride, and greed. Ooh, there's some good stuff in there, huh? <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's very... Um, relevant to our world, is it not? And to our own lives today, these particular themes that I just mentioned. So the theme for this morning, are you ready for it? Are you ready? Here it comes. The theme for this morning is the sin of gluttony. <clears throat> yes, I said gluttony. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? I, I expect to hear a lot of amens and preach it, brother, right? No, no, don't do that. I have never preached a sermon on gluttony. A little over 13 and a half years, officially, as the pastor, never preached one sermon on gluttony. Nine years before that, I was a fill-in guy and preached a couple times a year, really. Never preached anything on gluttony. My entire Christian life, I have never heard a sermon on gluttony. Not one in my entire Christian life. I've been in church my whole life. Huh. Just a curiosity, show of hands, has anybody ever heard a sermon about gluttony? We got one. We got another. Two folks. Huh, what's going on here? I wonder. Now, I didn't preach them because I didn't want to talk about it. It's just kind of like, I don't know, this never really came up. I didn't really think about it, I guess. And then when I was forced to think about it, I thought, maybe I don't want to preach that. Huh, maybe I know why people don't talk about it. <laughs> uh, so this is my first time tackling this particular sin. All right, I've been, I've been nervous about it all week long. 
I've asked people for prayer. Some of the other ministers, I'm tackling something new that honestly I'm a little nervous about. And it could be a very sensitive subject. And as I began to, to, to research, um, I didn't find a lot on the subject, honestly. I found a few ministers, I'll refer to them today, that kind of helped me out and gave me some ideas and some of their own personal testimonies and things uh, about it. But I heard one pastor say that uh, the reason why pastors don't preach on gluttony is because they, they don't want to lose their job. It makes us nervous. It's part of our world. People might get upset. But they never really stopped me. So anyway, if you've been around here long enough. There you go. But it does seem to be a sin that is largely ignored within Christianity, within the church. There's a pastor I've listened to for years and years. Uh, his name is Skip Heitzik out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's a, he's a Calvary guy, and he's preached for 30-plus years. And I heard a sermon this week. I found one that he preached, uh, Skip, on uh, uh, gluttony. And he said, this is my first sermon that I've ever preached on gluttony. After like 30-plus year years of preaching, right? So I don't feel quite so bad here. And it was in a sermon series that he called White Collar Sins. Huh. I thought that was kind of clever. White Collar Sins. We kind of dress certain sins up and think, well, that's not that bad. We make excuses for our overeating. We say, you know, it's not really sin. It's just a little problem I have on the side, maybe. And, um, you know, the pastors never talk about it. So how bad can it be, right? Huh. So I think that's good for us to, to bring it up, <laughs> to talk about it this morning. Let the Spirit of God speak. Hmm. Help us, Lord. Gluttony seems to be complicated as I examined it. It's not quite like some of the other sins. It's not quite so cut and dry, maybe. When I think, like, say, for instance, the sin of adultery, which is a strong topic, and we'll get into that maybe next week. We'll see. But it's, it's it, you know, adultery is, it's, Number seven out of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. It's pretty clear. And it's never okay to have a sexual relationship with, with someone that isn't your wife or your husband. It's never okay. Even in the mind, it's never okay, right? So it's pretty clear, like, okay, I get it. But I found that gluttony seems a little more complicated. Hmm. When do we cross the line? When do we become gluttonous? When are we just, maybe just enjoyed mama's lasagna a little bit? too much. I don't know. These are hard things to try to figure out. So I've been wrestling, wrestling with this. Um, so I think gluttony is a little more sneaky. It's a little more nuanced, probably, in its understanding, because as human beings, we have to eat food every day. It's part of life. Certain sins we just scrub from our lives and say, uh-uh, I repent of that, and I never think about it or go back there ever again. But food, you still have to eat every day, right? You can repent of certain types of eating, sure, but it's still there. There's food. Look at that. I have to eat. Hmm. So I think it can be a little bit, a little bit uh, tricky, so to speak. Hmm. So here we are this morning. We want the Holy Spirit to talk to us about this, hmm. to go home and pray about it. I'm not sure I'm going to answer all the questions about it this morning, but maybe this is the beginning in our hearts and our lives to examine this particular situation, this sin. I think another thing that causes gluttony to, be, gluttony to be a little tricky is that we also have to recognize that <clears throat> food is a gift from God, right? So I don't want anybody to go away from this message and think, well, as a Christian, I can never enjoy food again. That it's sinful to enjoy. Mmm, tasty food. No! 
It is a gift from God. And it's actually meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be savored. If food is a great blessing from the hand of the Lord. Right from the beginning, if you hold our first parents, you may eat from any tree in the garden. All the green stuff, all the good stuff. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Except, well, there was that one tree, right? Just the one. Psalm 145, God says that he opens up his hand and he provides for every living thing. It's the gift of God's provision and love and our life. I mean, he invented flavor and spices and all kinds of tasty stuff, right? It's fun. So it is indeed a pleasure. It's a gift from God. Don't we pray, give us today our daily bread. Okay. Jesus, how many times did we see him in the scripture eating with people? Hmm. So-and-so invited him to a feast, and there he was, enjoying it. I think the, the first miracle, the water and the wine, it was at a wedding. He was invited to feast at a wedding, and he enjoyed it. And he, he definitely in, had fun with the friends and the family and ate of the good food. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, if you're taking notes, Ecclesiastes 3, 13, talks about enjoying your food, doing good. Enjoying life. It's a gift from God. But therein lies a bit of the struggle, isn't it? Because I'm supposed to enjoy it. It's a gift from God. But if I enjoy it too much, now there's a problem. <laughs> uh, life is tricky sometimes, isn't it? And sin is sneaky. It's deceptive. However, gifts from God have to be guided by God. Let's think about that for a minute. Sex. Did you know God invented it? I know. He said sex in church. Well, the world says it all the time. The church ought to talk about it too, but in its proper context. It is a gift from God to be enjoyed. But it is so sacred to God, he wants, us to, he wants to guide it. Otherwise, it turns into perversions and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? So what did God do? And I say this many times, but God built a temple for sex and he called it marriage. Ah, oh, somebody's been listening. Great. Teach it to the kids. Teach it to ourselves. It is the temple of marriage, that covenant that we make before God. And there it can be nurtured and enjoyed and a great blessing in our life. But taken out of the context of the, the temple of marriage, it can become detrimental and problematic in so many people's lives, right? And it causes chaos and pain. It's sin. God might know what he's doing. So if he gives it, then he guides it. But the same with eating, I think. It's a beautiful gift from God, but he wants to guide us with it, like one of the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to talk about self-control. Helps to guide the gift of the beautiful food that he's given us. So he gave it, but he wants to guide it. Otherwise, it can become destructive and harmful in our lives. Some of the verses I had you guys look up. In fact, let's stand out of reverence for God's word. We're going to read a few passages here. So Proverbs chapter 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Proverbs 23 is where we'll start first, starting at verse 1. Very fascinating scripture. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. And in fact, let's go over to verse uh, 20 as well in the same chapter. I didn't mention that one, but verse 20. 
Do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Notice that, gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. And then our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's going to be coming from verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I want to talk about uh, the first three verses of Proverbs 23. I'll refer to those other passages a little bit as as we go along here. And then after we go through those three kind of peculiar verses there, about a knife to the throat and all these interesting things, <laughs> I have five questions. Five questions to ask us about gluttony, and Lord willing, I can answer them. All right, so Proverbs 23, verse 1. Have you ever read this passage and gone, what is this? When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Hmm, what a fascinating and interesting passage. If we can read and go, I don't really know what that means, what's going on there, but I think there's much to learn. So I think here's the picture. There's a poor guy, a regular guy in the ancient world, in Israel, and he finds himself dining with a rich ruler who's got lots of money, big old house, big old table, and all kinds of food. And he finds himself at the table with this guy. And the Bible gives this fella some guidance on how he's supposed to behave at the table. Hmm, this wise biblical guidance. And what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to be on guard, right? When you sit to dine with the ruler, note well what is before you. Check it out. Go, oh my, what am I sitting down to? And pay attention, as the mouth begins to water, as it does, right? As the eyes begin to brighten. Oh, what is that? I've never seen such food at this rich man's table. Wow. The aroma, mm, the delicacies that lay before him. So the Bible says, be on your guard and restrain yourself. Interesting. Restrain yourself if you're given to gluttony. If you've got those tendencies towards being gluttonous, he says, you got to hold yourself back. And what does it say? It says, put a knife to your throat. That seems a little extreme. I picture just the dinner knife there, and he's like, oh, and he starts to just gorge, right? And he picks up the butter knife and is like, ha, ah, holding himself back, right? <laughs> I think it's the picture. Hold yourself back. Show restraint at the dinner table. Hmm. And all the Americans, all the Americans said, oh, right, restraint at the dinner table. <laughs> we don't show restraint at the dinner table so often. The Bible's saying here you have to exercise self-control in order to hold yourself back. And don't crave, notice it says don't crave his delicacies, right? Don't, you could lust after these types of foods. Hmm. Yep, it's in the Bible. Did you know it? There it is. Talking about holding yourself back from eating too much. It's in the Bible. Interesting. Think about this poor guy in ancient days sitting at the rich man's table. What did he eat on a normal basis? You understand, a poor man in ancient Israel, what did this guy eat every day? You know what he ate? He ate barley bread and two, lo two small fishes, right? Like Jesus. Remember the fish and the loaves? They're like the common little food. And barley was the bread of the poor man. 
If you were a little wealthy, you ate wheat, right? Not that barley. So this guy, he eats barley bread every day. If he's thankful, he's got a couple little pickled fish, like the boy's lunch that Jesus multiplied. Hmm. We see figs in the Bible. Maybe during season, he had a little bit of fresh fruit now and then. Olives seem to be a big deal, big crop down there. Um, a few vegetables. If you live near the Sea of Galilee, you might have a fish now and then. A couple times a year, you had lamb at Passover, right? <laughs> so you didn't eat a lot of meat. You ate some very basic foods. You might have had a bowl of mush in the morning, some lentils here and there, right? It's just very basic food. And you think about spices and all that. Now, they did have the salt sea, so they did have salt in Israel. So woohoo, thanks for salt, Lord. But that's like all they had. So kind of a plain, bland, simple food. And now he finds himself at the rich man's table. And he goes, oh, what is all of this? This excess, this, this amazing feast that he's never seen. And I mean, the rich man buys spices from the caravans that come on camels for hundreds of miles. What do you think that cost in those days? Spices have been treasured throughout the ages until modern times. But I bet if I go to your house, I can open your cupboard and what do you have? Little jars of little shakery spices. And you didn't buy them off the camel caravan, did you? For hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So here's this guy. And he's got exotic meats at the table. The roasted this and the roasted that with spices he's never even tasted. And the baked goods and all the desserts. And this poor man, if he wants something sweet, he might get a fig now and then. Maybe some honey if it's a, it's a real blessing. But this guy's got cakes, pies, and chocolate at the table. Well, I don't think they had chocolate in ancient Israel. But if it was available, he'd had it. Can you imagine when chocolate first came out? Only the wealthy elite could have such a thing, right? be amazing. So this poor regular guy, he's staring at all this food. And if he's given the gluttony, the Bible says, you've got to hold yourself back, mister. Put a knife to your throat, because what's he going to do? He will gorge for the rest of the evening. And what he'll do, he'll make a fool of himself in front of the ruler. The ruler will not respect this guy going, ah, 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 feasting and gorging. Hmm. What does it say in verse 3? It says, do not crave his delicacies, for that food is what? Deceptive. Huh. Have you ever thought of food being deceptive? Interesting. Well, how could it be deceptive for this fella? Well, I think, though he loves it, it's not going to meet his needs. It's not going to fix his life because tomorrow morning he'll wake up with a dirt floor under his feet and he'll eat his bowl of mush. Maybe there's a little salt on it, possibly. I don't know. And then he has another problem because now he craves the delicacies that he never can have again. I remember there was a little African choir that came years ago and they were little children from Africa and they stayed in people's homes and they warned them when you feed them, never give them sugar. And if I remember correctly, it's been a long time ago, it ruined the children. They didn't want to eat anything else. And they'd go back to Africa to a place where they could never get it again, and it could cause a problem. A lusting for that food that they're never going to have. And that's what this guy, now he's going to, to envy and lead to the Tenth Commandment, which is you shall not covet. So he longs for things now that he cannot have, and, and he's not content anymore because that bowl of mush is horrible to him when he ate all those delicacies. 
Mm. And really, the food becomes an idol. It's a snare. It's deceptive to him. And now he's got a whole problem. He's got a whole other problem. Hmm. Let's say that, that he works really hard and he makes all kinds of money and then he can eat these delicacies. Will that fix his life? Will that bring him contentment and comfort? Well, no, of course not, right? And how many people worked really hard and they got the money and they arrived and then they went, wow, my life is empty. Hmm. Because we, only, we know that only contentment can come from faith in Jesus. He is the one who meets our need. We sang about he is our portion, right? He's everything we need. We don't find it in, the, in the, the pleasures of this world. So that food would be deceptive for this man. Hmm. So who are we in this story? Are we the poor guy? Or are we the rich guy? You know what? I tell you who we're not. We're not the poor guy. <laughs> we're not him. Not in America, not in this day and age. We are the rich man in this story, actually. Because we can eat delicacies almost any time we want. You could have chocolate every day if you wanted. Can you imagine that? Every day. You could eat meat three times a day if you wanted. We have freezers full of things like that. Ice cream. Pizza. So I'm not the rich man. I don't eat at the steakhouse every night. I can't afford that. Yeah, maybe you can't. Maybe you don't eat escargot and, and uh, caviar, but who wants to eat slugs and fish eggs anyway? Oh, I'm not the rich man. Oh, yeah. Do you know this ancient rich guy, if he knew what pizza was, he would have it at the table, wouldn't he? He'd have an ultimate pizza. Every evening. Of course he would. We feast like rich men continually in our lives. Hmm. Think of all the pastries and the things that are just... I mean, people bring free donuts to work, right? <laughs> Something a poor man like in the old days could just dream of. Hmm. Spices in everybody's cupboards. So we eat like a king. But the Bible says this food is deceptive... Okay, for the rich or for the poor alike. This doesn't bring us contentment and it doesn't bring us peace. Only Jesus can do that. So happiness is not found in this world, but found in Christ. Remember, it's a gift of God, but we must be careful and use it correctly. So there's that little passage. Fascinating. Go home and reread that one. Put it to memory, because then when you sit at the table, you think, I have to restrain myself. I have to hold myself back. Where's that, where's that little, little knife? Just the butter knife, right? Now, I have five questions for us this morning. These are questions I wrote down as I began the sermon, and I wanted to answer them. And honestly, when I first wrote them down, I didn't have all the answers. And I, hopefully I do, but maybe I don't. We'll see. Question number one, what is gluttony? I want to define it, because honestly, I'm like, what is it exactly? Like, I kind of know, but I really wanted to get a handle on it. So what is gluttony? Number two, why is it sinful? Okay, I want to examine that. Three, are all overweight people gluttons? It was just a question I had, and I wrote it down. And just to answer right now so it doesn't hang out there too long is no. Not all overweight people are gluttons, and we'll talk about that. But it's a question. I'm like, I don't know. Is that true? And the second part of that question, so it really makes it two in one, but uh, is what... 
Where does it stem from? Where does the, the desire to overindulge, where does, that, where does that flow from? And I think I've identified two sources where it can flow from. Fourth question is, am I a glutton? We need to look at ourselves. And lastly, how can I repent and turn from the sin of gluttony? All right, so number one, what is gluttony? Well, I have a Bible dictionary, and I open up my Bible dictionary, and it's got all these wonderful Bible themes and pictures. It's really great. I love it. I looked for gluttony, and it wasn't even in there. <laughs> People aren't talking about it, apparently. <laughs> I thought that was weird. So I just got a regular dictionary. Looked at the word gluttony, and it said this. It said habitual greed. Hmm. A habit of greed, right? Habitual greed. Excess in eating or drinking. An excess in eating or drinking. Pretty simple. Okay, so I would define gluttony as this. Gluttony is excess indulgence. Hmm. But not just with food. I think you can go for anything. Excess indulgence. This overindulging. Like I think we can say, oh, I'll indulge in a candy bar tomorrow. I think that's okay. But it's the, the gluttony comes when I overindulge and I have three or four, then like every day or whatever it is, right? So it's the overindulgence. Not just one Thanksgiving dinner, but you know, you eat like that all the time or whatever. Giving free reign to our pleasures, I think would be another definition. Giving free reign. You know what that means to give free reign? It's a horseback riding term as far as I know. I grew up riding horses. When you rein them in, you pull them like this. What is their head? Their neck goes like this. They cannot run when their neck's kind of pulled back. You stop the horse. So if you rein in your desires, you're stopping them. If you give them free rein, it means we say give the horse his head. And you, you go like this with the reins. He has his head fully extended and he can run real fast. But with his head like this, he can't run all bound up. So I think it's the giving of the free reins, letting your pleasures just go wild, right? So therefore, in that type of definition, we're not just looking at food. Now, that'll be the primary topic this morning because biblical context seems to point towards the eating as the gluttony. But I really think that we can be gluttons of all kinds of things, right? Not just food. We can give free reign to many of our pleasures, whether it be sex or entertainment. I just think how many of us, and myself included, have been guilty of being gluttonous towards entertainment? I got it in my pocket. I love me some YouTube videos and this and that. And you got TV and, uh, and movies and internet and, and all the, like, the social media scene. And we can just gorge, gorge, gorge on these types of things. And then it does harm us because we become unproductive and less focused on God and the family and all the good things that we need to be focused on. Not that they can't be good in moderation, but if we gorge, I think we have a problem. We can, we can overindulge in possessions, Gimme, 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 right? It's really called greed, <laughs> that unrestrained desire. I got to have it. So we can be gluttons in many different areas. So today, if you find yourself and you, hey, I'm not a glutton for food, well, examine your life in other areas. You might find some, some gluttonous areas. In fact, I was thinking, well, just this morning when we were in the midst of song, and I've been talking to Jennifer about fasting uh, TV and YouTube and screens and all of that, just, it's just good to just break it every once in a while and say, nah. And this week we're going to be out of town and things won't work too good in that. But I'm, maybe we'll do an all-church. I'll invite you all to fast screens with us the week after next. I'll, I'll bring it back up. But I just thought about that while I was singing and worshiping. But we see here that a, uh, gluttony seems to have a connection to greed. And greed is always wanting but never being satisfied. Colossians 3.5 tells us that Greed is idolatry. Hmm. 
greed is idolatry because it's taking the place of God. I want, I want, I want. I'm not satisfied. I got to have this. Therefore, that becomes an idol in my life. The the, the greed. We'll get back to that idea of an idol in a moment. So the second question I had was why is gluttony sinful? Why is gluttony sinful? Well, I think it goes back to what I just mentioned, a connection to greed. Always wanting but never being satisfied, that's idolatry. So what we're saying is here is I'm ultimately not satisfied with Jesus. I need something else. I need something else. I need something else. Hmm. So overindulging in our pleasures is seeking contentment in something that isn't God. Hmm. And I know I've done that. Try to feel comfortable and feel good in these other things that aren't always God, right? So we've got to be very careful. So food can become an idol. It can be deceptive. The devil can use it. Let me read to you from uh, Philippians 3.19. Jot that one down for your notes if you like. Philippians 3. 19, Paul is talking about these people. I think they've infiltrated the church and they're not godly and they're very destructive. And it says, um, their destiny is destruction. And listen to this, their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame and their mind is on earthly things. So they're not thinking of God, they're thinking of earthly things. And it says that their God is their stomach. Wow. That means they're being ruled by their appetites and their urges. Probably food, sex, whatever they want at that moment, right? Think about our nation. Are we a nation ruled by our appetites? That's why advertisers can do so well and sell all their stuff. You need this. You deserve that. Because we're ruled. Our God can be our stomach if we're not careful. Socrates may have said this. I'm not totally sure, but I rearranged it into a question. Do you live to eat, or do you eat to live? Do you live to eat, or do you eat to live? Because some people, they certainly, well, they live to eat, don't they? Maybe you struggle with that. Has food become maybe the center of your life? That you plan your life around food, or do you plan food around your life? I know anytime we get together with family, we're on vacation, it seems like we're planning everything around food. Because of big meals, the whole family, and this, we just hop from meal to meal. <laughs> it might be fine at those times. But in general, in our life, are we planning our life around food or food around our life? I listened to a couple of ministers that I found online who were talking about their personal struggle with the sin of gluttony. And one of them conquered it, and he and his wife actually wrote a book, and they, they it's really great stuff that I listened to. But he said this, Um, that his life was planned around food. He would say, well, why would I want to go to the movies if I can't have popcorn and candy and soda? What would be the point? Huh? Why would I want to go on vacation? He said, if I can't just eat whatever I want, that wouldn't even be a vacation. And he goes, if I go here, I know I get to eat that. And he traveled a lot. And if I travel over here, I get to eat that. Not that you don't mind your good restaurants, but his life was about where he got to eat and what he got to eat. Hmm. He said that food was his reward. Is food your reward? 
he, he's a hard worker. He had all kinds of things he would do, and then he would reward himself. <laughs> right? Not that it isn't okay sometimes. Even if, oh, we all got A's. Yay, we get ice cream with family. That's okay now and then. But also just thinking about this, Jennifer and I were talking about it. If we always reward with uh, food in the home, what are we teaching our children? That food is the great prize of life. And it's a beautiful blessing, right? So let's just be careful with that. Again, celebrate with ice cream now and then. But if it's always the prize, then we can build an unhappy thought, unhealthy thought process into our children's minds regarding food without even knowing it. So is food your reward? Do you daydream about food? Is food the first thing on your mind when you wake up in the morning? Huh. I try to make Jesus the first thing I think about, but the second thing, honestly, is coffee. There was a guy, I remember in junior college, in high school, the drugs never got near my life at all, but in, in junior college, I ran into some guy who was he was major pothead, and, and we were on this big field trip thing together, and I started interviewing, and I was asking him questions, because I had no idea like about this stuff. And I said, so when you wake up in the morning, I said, what's the first thing you think about? Oh, pot, pot, yeah. It was consuming his life. But I think food could be the same way. We could think about that so much of our life. Do you have a secret stash of treats? That's what one of the ministers said. He had to confess to his wife because he was going to get, uh, one of his kids was getting in trouble for eating something they shouldn't. And he said, but I feel a little bad. Come here, honey. And he showed her the, his drawer of Oreos. And then she said, oh, I feel a little bad too. And she came over and showed him her bag of whatever. <laughs> they knew they had a problem. Have you ever felt enslaved by food? And you can't quite shake it. And maybe for years of your life, it has been a struggle. And some of you might know what I'm talking about. And some of you might not and think, oh, that's not my problem. I'd never be gluttonous. That's all right. We're going to talk about pride next week. <laughs> or something else like that. We all got our stuff. We all got our issues, so let's be real careful. We get that, get that plank out of our eye, right, before we start helping anybody with their little specks. But, uh, but some of you have struggled, maybe since childhood, and it's become an idol in your life. And I just want to say, my dear brothers and sisters, that God will set you free from all idols, right? It doesn't matter what it is. He's the king, and by his shed blood and resurrection power, he can break those things that bind you and hold you back. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Thank you, Jesus. Another minister I found online, he was giving his personal testimony about his gluttony. It was kind of a new thing in his life that he had really recognized. Now, he knew it all along, but he always hit it. He always used other scripture to, to explain his freedom in Christ, and he'd do whatever he wanted. And he was 365 pounds, and he finally, his little children, sat at the table with him and said, Dad, are you going to die because of the way you eat? And he said, that was it. He, just, he was wrecked. He was ruined. He started praying and seeking God, and he, he was down 65 pounds. He was still in the midst of the struggle, and he was preaching and giving his testimony to the people, and he said something that stood out to me, and he said, it wasn't about the weight. It was about surrender to Jesus for him. It wasn't about the weight. It was about the surrendering of all of his life to Christ, and that was one area that he always made excuses for. 
but he had to give it up to the Lord. And the other guy that I was listening to talking about him and his wife with their little secret stash and all that, he said that his food addiction was the hardest thing he ever got rid of. He used to be a heroin addict when he was younger, in the 70s, he said. He said God saved him and delivered him from heroin in a beautiful supernatural way, he said. But when it came to chocolate, chocolate was harder than heroin. I know that's the way for everybody, but for this guy it was. He said he would cry out to God, God, why are you not delivering me from this when you took it heroin away from me? And he struggled, actually, for a great degree with things like chocolate. He was a slave to food. Hmm. But he said this, he says, by God's grace, if God can deliver us from pornography and heroin and filthy language, God can deliver us from the sin of gluttony. Right? Amen. Thank you, Lord. And I think the number one reason that, that uh, gluttony is sinful is that it, just, it becomes an idol in our lives. Now, another reason that it's sinful, I believe, is that it, it, it contrasts completely one of the fruits of the Spirit. If you look into Galatians chapter 5, those nine fruits of the Spirit that talks about the Spirit of God that creates in us and He grows these beautiful fruits out of our lives. Do you know what the last fruit is? Anybody? I heard it. Self-control. Self-control. The sin of gluttony is not, it's stifling the, sin, the, the fruit of self-control, right? Because it's totally the opposite. Because I'm giving free reign to my pleasures, not controlling them according to the will of God. Hmm. So we have to learn to put the knife to the throat, restrain ourselves at the table, don't crave, don't lust after those delicacies. I would say probably those who have a lack of self-control when it comes to food probably have a lack of self-control when it comes to, to other things. It makes sense. However, the one minister I listened to, he actually said he was very disciplined, very controlled in all of his life, but that one area. And he had to surrender that to the Lord. A little bit of side note here, but did you know, what was the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, we know, homosexuality. Ah, but worse than that, it was actually violent homosexuality. But then I read in the, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 49 and 50, for your notes there, check this out, Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, according to the NIV, it says one of their sins was being overfed. Wow. That they were prideful, unconcerned, overfed, they didn't look after the poor and the needy. And they did detestable things in the sight of God. But one of them was they were gluttons, which makes sense. If they're going to give free reign to their sexual desires, they're going to go ahead and give free reign to their, their stomach, you know, got to eat desires, and who knows what else they were into. Bad, bad stuff. But I think when you describe Sodom as overfed, I thought, what about America? Whew, we're overfed. Hmm. But God wants his people to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, self-controlled not controlled by our stomachs. And the last reason that gluttony is sinful is that it harms the temple of God eventually. Maybe not at first, but eventually it will harm the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19. You can turn there for your notes. 1 Corinthians 
6.19. Oh, I'm in Romans. That's why I can't find it. 1 Corinthians 6.19. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you've received from God. Thank you, Lord. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The context is actually sexual immorality, but certainly it works for gluttony as well. Yeah. We are the temple of God. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you and lives with you. The Spirit of Jesus makes his home with you, and we are the temple. So we're in charge of keeping the temple clean and pure and even functioning well. We always think of it as a spiritual aspect, but there's a, there's a physical aspect in which we can harm the temple of God. The Spirit of God is there to guide us. He's there to empower us. He's there to comfort us. He's there to make us holy. Remember, we don't belong to ourselves any longer. We've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. We belong to him, so we have to honor God with our body. So gluttony will eventually damage the body. Some of you have experienced that for different ways and reasons. But when we damage the mortal body, there's a loss of effectiveness for the kingdom of God. It definitely diminishes what we can do for God. We can't go out and bless others very well when the body's all broken. If you're sick, if you're hurting, if you're not mobile or whatever it is, these things affect the body of Christ. It affects our, our uh, work for the Lord. Unproductive. Obesity is a huge epidemic. One little Google search said in America, 160 million people are obese or overweight. It's like slightly less than half our population. Obesity increases the risk of high blood pressure and stroke and heart disease and diabetes and sleep apnea and some certain uh, some cancers, osteoarthritis, joint problems, back pain, short, shorter lifespan, memory, mood. Hmm. Our bodies are sacred to God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we belong to Him. We're all going to die of something, right? Nobody's going to die healthy. You're all going to die of something. But we might as well try to be good stewards of the outward body the best that we can. And I do believe the outward body can often affect the inward body, too, the inward spirit. And this morning, if you realize maybe you've damaged the temple of God, I just want to encourage you and say, you know what? These temples are pretty amazing, actually. And they can spring back from a whole lot more than we think they can. Like, like smoking. Why is smoking sinful? Because it harms the temple of God, right? You're giving yourself cancer, or you could. Or you give your friend cancer who's next to you while you're smoking, your children or whatever. So this is the problem, because it harms the body. But you know what? If somebody stops smoking soon enough, your lungs totally bounce back. It's amazing, right? So God built our bodies to be pretty springy. So if you've done some damage, changing the way we eat, the way we live, God can do great miracles in the body. Hmm. Now, the second part of this question was how, um, oh, no, sorry, was were all overweight people gluttons? Right? All, are all overweight people gluttons? And I was just, I'd wrestle around trying to figure that out in my mind as I prayed. And I would say, absolutely not. Not all overweight people are gluttons. And you right? Some of you. So why? I think there's many reasons in our world 
why people can be overweight. It's not, it's not hard, right? It's, well, I think we know that. <laughs> so you don't necessarily have to be a glutton. However, many gluttons are overweight because it's a byproduct of the idol in your life, right? That, that's how it goes. But I think that some people, it, food isn't an idol to them, but they're still gaining weight. But what's going on there? Well, I think there's many contributing factors that it maybe aren't pure gluttony. Maybe you've got a job and you don't move, right? A lot of jobs in the office is like, you're not working in the field all day, so that could be a contributing factor, and you don't like to exercise, so you don't do that when you get home. Certain body types are certainly prone to collecting calories than others. That's just how it is. Some people's body types seem to be not prone to it. It's not fair, but that's how it is. But even those who are not prone, when they get older, they start to become prone. That's how it works. I've read certain medications, a list of side effects, and one was like weight gain. Wait, like, Really? We got a hard enough time as it is, right? And now there's a medication, and America is very heavily medicated. So there's an issue there. I mean, I, I knew a lady with a pituitary problem that she got kind of big, and then she got really skinny, and then she got kind of big, and it was totally just a thing in her throat, you know, pituitary issue. So there's all kinds of health reasons. It's not just gluttony, having babies, right? And all the mamas said, amen. It's not so easy. God caused them to, your body to gain some extra weight to help with whatever that is going on in there, making babies. Getting older, I find that that's just a thing. And your metabolism is slowing, and the muscle mass, they say, is decreasing, and you're like, oh, I'm not eating anymore. How come I'm gaining weight? This is the deal. But I think here's the biggest, biggest, that's not a word, the biggest contributing factor in America is we eat the sad diet. Have you ever heard of the SAD diet? S-A-D, Standard American Diet. Huh, maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. What is a SAD diet? It is a processed food diet. How many French fries have we all eaten? I hope they're in heaven because I sure love them. But they're really not good for us on many levels. Fried foods, all the, the processed foods, the sodas, the fatty food, the lack of exercise, how many factors, right? So it's not always pure gluttony. It might just be kind of like not paying attention and eating a sad diet. So maybe that's part of the deal. So we want to be careful not to judge someone by looking on the outside. Oh, well, you're a glutton, you're a glutton. Right? We want to be very careful. What did God say to Samuel when he was picking out the king and he thought it was David's older brother? And he said, no, not him. Because God looks at the heart, but man looks on the outside. So we want to be like God. We want to look to the heart of people, not look to the outside and judge them unfairly. Plus, we probably got a big plank in our own eye anyway, right? So let's be very careful. Very careful how we look and how we judge and all these things. A note along these lines, though, however, if you've gained weight and if it's becoming a problem physically and you're damaging the temple of God, though it may not be the result of outward gluttony, isn't it still the sin of harming the temple of God, though? Right? Just careless eating? The sad diet. So, the world's just full of traps and snares, right? They could become sinful if we're not careful. Hmm. Now, the second part of my question was, where does gluttony come from? What makes someone overindulge and maybe make food and idol. Where, where does this flow from? Well, I think I've identified two main reasons. Maybe as I study and pray more, I'll come up with other reasons. But here's two main reasons I believe that people would be prone to the overconsumption. Number one, pure desire for pleasure 
pure desire for pleasure. Number two, emotional comfort. Emotional comfort, and I believe these two may even intertwine sometimes. It's, it's kind of complex. Number one, pleasure. Because food is fun. It's tasty. We like it. But there could be kind of a hedonistic feeling like, ah, life is all about me and my pleasure and my enjoyment. Now, that's not the Christian motto, right? That's the motto of the world. Hmm. Many people think that they're there for the, their own personal pleasure. That's what the world thinks, right? Hmm. I think it's the Anthony Bourdain quote. I'm going to try to get as much mileage out of this one as I can. I quoted it some time back. But they actually make t-shirts out of it because the world loves this. Remember Anthony Bourdain? Right? And then he died. He killed himself. This is what he said. He said, your body is not a temple. I think I just read the Bible said it is. He said, your body is not a temple. It is an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Mm, that'll sell some t-shirts. Yeah. Woo, party. It's an amusement park. We drink and we eat and we do what we want and the sex and this and that. Woo, right? But did it work out for Anthony Bourdain? That amusement park wasn't good enough. And he killed himself. But if he had known the grace of Jesus in his life and knew his body was a temple, he'd maybe have a whole new attitude. So this is not the Christian view, but here's the deal, brothers and sisters. I believe that the world has invaded the church on many levels. I think that selfishness has infiltrated the church of the Lord Jesus. I have seen Christians be so selfish <laughs> over my ministry and my life. And I've probably been selfish with some of them. And I think this, this hedonistic, selfish view, it's like it's really all about me. It's not about me serving God. And they forget the passages like, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That I was made by God and for God. And then we get confused, and that's why, no, I, it's me, and these are my Sundays, and I'm going to do what I want on Sunday, and you, church can't tell me what to do, the Bible can't, or, you know, there's all these selfish, selfish things that get inside us, even in the church. And I think that's why much of the church is lukewarm, because we're pursuing free reign of the pleasures. So I think we can adopt that. That could lead towards a gluttonous idea towards food. Um, secondly, emotional comfort. Emotional escape. Trying to bring comfort from the pain of life and the stress of life. Anybody ever stress eat, right? Hmm. Trying to cover up something inside that's hurting, whether it be loneliness or fear or sadness or depression. Mm. Food can be the drug of choice to dull the pain and escape. And it seems innocent. I mean, come on. It's not heroin. I'm not hurting anybody. And that ice cream tastes really good, right? The whole gallon of it. but yet it does hurt someone. It hurts you, your body, the temple of God. But then it can hurt your children and your spouse because if you're sick and broken, right, it affects the whole family. Yeah, it's not heroin, but I heard that chocolate's pretty hard to quit. Hmm. And now you have an idol in your life. Hmm. 
And I think that here's the real part of it that would make it a sin, even though it's an emotional issue, is that I'm really turning to that and not to Jesus. I'm Ben and Jerry's, not my Lord and Savior. And I think that's really the problem. Because 1 Peter 5.17 says, Cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. I love it. Give him all your pain and all your burdens, because Jesus cares. He cares about them all. Thank you, Lord. And only he can truly comfort. It's like when I've counseled drug addicts or alcoholics, and they're struggling, and they get drunk that night. Why? Because they want to escape the pain. But then I say, but when you wake up in the morning, is the pain gone? They're like, no. No, no, you still have the same problems. In fact, you have another problem. You're an alcoholic. Your liver's failing. And your marriage is dying. And your relationships are, you're right? But the same thing with food is that it may escape for a moment, but then you wake up in the morning, and then you have a, more of a health issue than you did before. Yeah, certainly it's better than drinking. But God doesn't want us to be bound by anything. And I tell you what, my dear brothers and sisters, only Jesus can comfort. And you know what? Jesus, and this is a good t-shirt, is calorie free. He's the bread of life. The bread of life is calorie free. <laughs> I don't see that on a t-shirt. The devil tempts many in many ways. Did you know the first time he ever tempted a human, food was involved? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's been an Achilles heel of man for a long time. Because in the garden, when he first tempted Eve, it was with food. Now, that wasn't the main deal. It was still about kind of second-guessing God there, but food was involved. You can eat from all, but not that one. Ooh, but that one looks good, she said, right? Oh, it does look nice. It's pleasing. And she, boop. Oh, here, hubby. Try some of this. And, they, and so food. Meaning that Jacob and Esau, remember when, when one, he despised his birthright, his inheritance, which ultimately meant his um, plan, in the, uh, his line in the plan of God. And he despised it, and he gave it up for a bowl of what? Lentils, stew, food. So the devil tempts in many ways, in many ways. When Jesus was out in the desert fasting for 40 days, almost dead, and the devil came and he tempted him with many things. One of them was food. If you are the Son of God, if, 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 turn those stones into bread. And Jesus totally could. Remember the loaves and the fishes. Not a problem. But he's not going to obey the devil. And what did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a good scripture when you feel a little gluttonous. Mm. Memorize these things. Tuck them into your soul and God will help you combat the devil because Jesus overcame the devil by quoting the word of God and clinging to truth. And we can do the same. The last two questions. We turn to ourselves and we say, Am I a glutton? You got to look inwardly and say, is that me? And maybe some of you will say, oh, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. But I've hid behind it. I've Nobody talks about it. I didn't worry about it. Or maybe you might say, you know, maybe I'm not, but I kind of have some tendencies now and then. I have to say, I have a few tendencies now and then. 
to be gluttonous. Now, I don't mean just like I ate too much at Thanksgiving or Mama's lasagna was really good the other night, so I had an extra helping. I'm not sure that's just gluttony. That's just Mama's lasagna is really tasty. But if you do that every night, right, there becomes more of an issue. But I certainly have been so past full and continued to push Oreos down my little gullet. I may not show it in the midsection, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a, a gluttonous moment or tendency there. Maybe it's really not gluttony for you, but it's a careless eating that's damaging the temple of God, and you need to, to give that to the Lord. And the final question is, how can I repent of the sin of gluttony? How can I gain victory? And I can't give you all the answers for this, but I think I can set you on the right course. First, number one, recognize that it's sin. I think that's kind of big. Because if it's just like, uh, I'm not going to think about it or talk about it. But if I recognize actually that it's sinful, then I can say, oh, Jesus, I need help because I don't want any sin in my life. So to call it what it is and stop making excuses. As that pastor I quoted said, it wasn't about the weight, it was about surrender. That's how it is with all our issues, right? It's about surrender to Jesus. Confessing it and letting him take it from us. And I also think we need to work at the root. What If, if it's just pure pleasure, if that's it, well then I got a problem there. I got to work it out with God. And let him be my everything, not the pursuit of pleasure. Or if it's an emotional problem, if maybe there's something in your past that you're covering up. And you have to say, well, what is that? And then you have to bring it out into the light with Jesus and pray about it and deal and maybe forgive somebody or, or whatever. I find that forgiveness is at the root of a lot of things. Actually, it's unforgiveness. But maybe you're just covering up something. I don't know. These are the things you have to talk to Jesus about. But if he helps you with the root of it, then the rest will still be difficult because it's a habit. But you've broken the root by the power of Christ. We want to learn to pray for self-control. That fruit of the Spirit, that's so important. Like our scripture said, note the table, hold yourself back, don't lust after it, and the devil can make it deceptive, so we have to be careful. In the scripture I started with there, towards the beginning, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Memorize that one. And then we can say, oh Lord, I want it all for your glory. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your dear people whom I love. And you love so much more that you gave your life and shed your blood. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died in order to set us free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And we as the church, as the forgiven people of God, we still have struggles, Lord. You know them all. And though we know we are forgiven, Lord, sometimes things still have power over us.
And Lord, I pray that you give your people strength. Help them to know that by your shed blood and resurrection power, they can be free from anything that binds them and holds them back. So Lord, I pray you give your people strength. And Lord, we'd even pray together, for there's probably none in the room that have never had at least a gluttonous tendency or two. We say to you, Lord Jesus, please forgive us. Please forgive those gluttonous desires, that gluttonous life, those gluttonous moments. We recognize it as sin, and we turn from it by your grace. Lord, that you might give us self-control every day. That you might help us to know where the line is in this difficult situation. Lord, we pray that this idol in our life would be gone. So we turn from it, Lord. We reject it. We thank you for your power that will accompany and answer these prayers in the days, the weeks ahead. Lord, forgive us for damaging the temple of God. And Lord, I pray that you would renew our bodies, that they could become healthy, they could become strong to honor you. And Lord, we pray that whatever we do, whatever we eat or drink, that we might do it all for the glory of God. In Christ we pray these things. And for your sake, and for our sake, we pray these things. Amen.